I had somebody tell me one time, if you invest in something in your business and uh, you find out that you couldn't do without it, then you made a good investment. Welcome to the Small Business Celebration Podcast, where we guide you, the small business owner, from the status quo to success to transformation with tools like this podcast, customized workshops, and personalized detailed coaching. I am your host, Michael I. Roberts, and today our guest is Rick Mossman of Mossman's Catering. Today, Rick is going to guide us on the best practices for hiring employees that are people smart, a way to become a leader in your industry, and why owning a stock in larger corporations can help your business. But before we get into this wide-ranging interview, let's hear a quick message from our sponsors. Tim McNeely with Lifestone Wealth Management understands that most entrepreneurs like you simply want to make a difference in the lives of the people they love and the causes they care about. In order to do that, you need assistance in solving all of your unique financial needs. The problem is, your current financial advisor wants to talk about what a great job they are doing managing your investment portfolio, and that can leave you feeling frustrated and misunderstood. Tim believes you deserve financial advice that moves beyond your portfolio. Tim understands that you need advice on minimizing taxes, taking care of the next generation, and protecting your hard-earned assets, all while supporting the causes you are passionate about. That is why, for the last 20 years, Tim has focused on providing advice beyond investments. Here's how it works. First, you and Tim meet, and he learns what really matters to you. Then... Tim presents a plan for moving forward, making real progress towards achieving your most important goals. To get started, contact Tim at lifestonewm.com. That's lifestonewm.com. And start making a difference in the lives of the people you love and the causes you care about. Today's economy is growing. The question is, are the team of new employees you are going to bring on board going to help you build a strong and profitable business? Small Business Celebration can guide you to three indispensable virtues that make some people better team players than others and build a framework with easy-to-use tools for identifying, hiring, and developing ideal team players for your organization. If you want to create a culture of teamwork for your business that is simple, practical, and works, Go to smallbusinesscelebration.com today. Build a team that wants you to succeed. Go to smallbusinesscelebration.com today. Hello, fellow business owners. We're here today with Rick Mossman from Mossman's Catering, and we are recording this here at Southwest Lane. So if you hear things going on in the background, that's why we're here on location. And uh, so welcome to the show, Rick. Thank you very much. Nice of you to invite me. Rick Mossman is uh, the owner of Mossman's Catering. He's the third generation Mossman. Mossman's Catering has earned the uh, beautiful Bakersfield Award, has also won the Mac and Cheese Festival Award, as well as numerous awards from the International Catering Association. And one of the questions that I've received from some of our listeners already is there was a transition in yes. the name of the company, from Mossman's Kitchen yes. to Mossman's Catering. How'd that come about? That's a great story. When my grandfather started the business over 50 years ago, he actually grew up in a family with no 
girls. And so he and his brother were called upon by his mother to help cook for a group of uh, soldiers that were stationed in an oil field uh-huh. up in Sonora, up north. So he went into the catering business, moved to Bakersfield, got into food. He enjoyed food. And he called his um, Mossman's Coffee Shops. Okay. When my uh, uncle took over, he changed the name to Mossman's Kitchen. Okay. He was more involved with the cooking side of it. He enjoyed that. And he actually had a friend who ran the Midnight Special many years ago in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. And he went to him. And if you notice the design of the Mossman's Kitchen logo, it looks amazingly like the Midnight Special logo. (laughs) And then I got into it. And I went actually to a relative of mine uh, named Bonnie, who was in the business, and asked her, what do you think I should call my business? And she said, well, Rick, you probably ought to call yours Mossman's Coffee Shops and Catering Company. Okay. So we changed mine to that. And Always Mossman has been consistent throughout the years, but just the emphasis has changed just a little. And I think the emphasis reflects the personality of the people in charge. One of the things that people understand is it's one thing to start a business yourself and make it successful. It's something entirely different to take the third generation of a business that's already successful and make it even more successful or better or shift it and change it for, for greater success. How have you done that? Yes, that's a great question. I, uh, as you know, the success rate of businesses is extremely minuscule. I don't have right. the percentages of it, but to stay in business five years, ten years is almost impossible. So a couple of uh, personal story about that and then a business story. When, it was, when my grandfather uh, was on his deathbed, he looked at me one time and he said, do you know what you'd ever do if you got to take over this business? And as a uh, young kid, of course, I knew what I would do, but that's not what you tell your grandfather. Right. You tell him, no, sir. And he said, (laughs) keep your mouth shut and let the employees teach how to run the place. I thought that was the dumbest thing I ever heard. (laughs) And sure enough, not too long after that, he passed away. And um, the business was up for grabs. And there were quite a few people who were very significant who wanted to grab the business besides me. Right. I was a young kid, didn't really know too much. They had experience. They had money. They had reputation. And for some reason, the landlord of the building chose me to take over the business. And honestly, I think it was kind of a God thing. You know, there's some things you look back and go, I wasn't qualified for that. It just happened. Sure. So I believe that still to this day. And the other thing that I have to say is every day when I would go to work, after my grandfather had been there, and my dad had been there, and my uncle had been there, and my brothers had been there, I would think of how to perform my work that day based on what they thought of me. Mm. So what would he think if I didn't clean this? Or what would he think if I didn't do this? Or what would he think if I didn't make this right? And pretty soon it drives you crazy. <laughs> so after about a year or two of doing that and driving myself crazy, I had a saying that I developed that said, I'm not working for dead guys anymore. <laughs> so I'd go to work every day and go, look, I'm not working for dead guys anymore. I need to figure out what I think is important and what to do. Your grandfather's quote of keep your mouth shut and let your employees teach you how to run the place. Yes. How has that impacted the business? Why is this important? Why is that a value? Oh, it's so important. Uh, my employees knew so much. There were some employees that worked at this business that I took over that had been there since before I was born. Hmm. There were a couple of waitresses that used to change my diapers, and they would remind me of that <laughs> every once in a while. Relentlessly. Relentlessly. And it was brutal. I remember the manager when I took over, I told her I had a few degrees from college, and she said, well, we're going to teach you things that they don't teach you in college. Right. And she I proceeded to learn a lot of things. One of the funny stories I have is my dishwasher had been there, started working since he was 15 and a half, and he was about 60 at the time I took over, 50 or 60. And uh, he would go on vacation for three weeks. And while he was on vacation, I would do the ordering for him. 
and the first week I would order the product and uh, everything would come out great. I thought that I was a hero. So as a business owner, I would begin to cut the inventory and cut back the supplies that we needed. Uh-oh. And the second week, we would run out of everything we had. <laughs> and I would overorder the third week, and he would come back from his vacation and just shake his head and cuss me. And I would literally have to leave for two days, two or three days, before he could, the dishwasher could get the place back in order again. So those people taught me quite a bit. And I, there was another story where uh, I used to make something. And he would come and put an empty pot next to me, and it kind of aggravated me because I didn't want that. I was working. I had right. something to do. Well, sure enough, about three steps down in the recipe, I needed that exact empty pot, and he knew what I was going to do before I knew what I was going to do. Right. And so, they, by, again, by the grace of God, he trained me and got me going, and so did a lot of them, too. How does that philosophy impact you today? Because you, you know, a lot of those employees no longer are with you, and you have mm-hmm. a whole new sub-generation from there. How do the, your employees tell, teach you how to run your business now? Yeah, that's. thank you very much for asking that. It has evolved, and you, you don't realize it. You just turn around someday. I, re, I realized the other day I was in a meeting with my managers. I call them my brain trusts. And uh, in my youthful arrogance, I used to think that when I was sitting at the table, I could do their job better than they could. And I was right. almost positive I could. So I looked at each one of them at the table and thought, why can't you do it like I can? Why can't you do it like I can? And now I look at the managers at my table and think, oh, my gosh, I can't do anything they do. They're so skilled. (laughs) They're so talented. And they're very good at doing what they're doing. So I've completely changed to what do you need? What can I help you do to do your job? And whether it's the dishwasher or whether it's the manager, if they have something to say, I always try to listen to it and understand what they're saying and spend some time talking to them, understand their life, their personality, understand what their goals are in their life. And... uh, you know, a lot of times they mention things to me, and I would say almost half of them are not possible to do. Mm-hmm. But I would say of the other half that's left, 90% of that I didn't really know or didn't really understand. And they give me an idea of where to look or what to, what to focus on. When you're going through and you're having to hire new staff, mm-hmm. because there is going to be a certain amount of turnover, what qualities or virtues do you look for in interviewees to fill these positions in your, in your company? Yeah, we've, our interview process is still very mom and pops. Okay. And we don't have a big, sophisticated system. And uh, we've evolved to where we always try to have two managers interview everyone. Mm-hmm. We always try to at least have a, a woman and a man interview them. Right. And typically different positions, too. I like a, a restaurant manager to interview, and I like a catering manager to interview them so they can think differently. But um, I had a general manager tell me one time, he says, look, if you get done interviewing someone, and you're out shopping that day at a mall, and you see them walking by on the, across from you at the mall, would you want to go over there and continue talking to them or not? Mm. And I think of a lot of the people I interview, like, you know, if I see them again, would I want to sit and talk to them again, and would I want to get to know them more, and would it be easy to talk to them? And if they have that quality, that makes a lot of difference in whether we hire them and whether they get to be in front of my guests and take care of my people. So the virtue of being people smart is very high on your list. Is this because you can teach them the technical aspects of the business if they already have the people skills? Yes. Uh, my, uh, my uncle and I used to fight about this all the time. He, he used to say that you, I used to say you created a job description and made the employee fit into that job description. Hmm. He said that you hired the employee, find out what they're good at, and then create a job around them. Who was right? I have to admit, as I get older, <laughs> I'm more inclined to agree with my uncle. <laughs> so, so I do try to find people that are skilled, try to find out what they're good at, and then develop a job around them. And any good manager knows that 
you're not managing to do what you do best. You're managing to do what everyone else doesn't do well. Right. So you look for not what's not getting done and what's not being done well. And that's where you belong. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> Even though you've taken over a very successful business mm-hmm. and you've inherited it all, what are some of the risks that you've had to take as a business owner or that you've gone out and, and taken? Yeah. Um, the long-term commitment, I think, is a big deal. Uh, okay. We, How we so? Had, well, we had... Um, well, for instance, this last week we've had to invest in new cash registers, mm. which are much more sophisticated than they were when I took over. Sure. When, you know, you push little buttons and you roll the handle and it rings. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Not anymore. So These aren't made out of oak? No, for some reason. <laughs> I think I still have that one somewhere, too. <laughs> but they're computer literate, of course. And so uh, the expenditure is in the neighborhood of twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars 25000 Wow. Well, that's something I would have never thought of years ago right but if i'm not going to spend that kind of money unless i'm committed to be in business and have a certain level of business and have a certain profitability of business so those kind of decisions are multiplied exponentially every day i come to work now but for as far as developing and growing the company what's one of the biggest risks that you've taken well that's a good question um we don't own specific property we lease property Right. So I would say to continue with the leases instead of go buy a piece of property mm-hmm. has been a big risk. Um, for me, buying vans and getting into the catering business was a big risk at the time. Okay. How so? Um, I had a friend who was a Marine captain, and he wanted to convince me to serve food to his Marines, and I said, I couldn't really do it. I don't have a van. He says, go buy a van, and I'll make sure you get enough business to pay for it. Nice. And I believed it. I trusted him. and. We got three or four vans now, and we still don't have enough. We have to rent them all the time. <laughs> so when you look back, I had somebody tell me one time, if you invest in something in your business and uh, you find out that you couldn't do without it, then you made a good investment. Right. So um, I always enjoy, we added a walk-in, can't do without it. We've added some ovens, can't do without them. We added some big chopper, buffalo chopper. We could have done without that. That was a bad decision to make. <laughs> so, <laughs> go ahead. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> So you inherited this business, and you've had a successful formula. You did go through and you did tweak it, mm-hmm. as, you, as you explained earlier. How has the business plan changed in the, like, the last 10 years, 15 years, 30 years? Yeah, the, uh, it has certainly changed. I would say the globalization is very significant to us. I did buy the business. My grandfather died, and I paid my grandmother for it uh, each month to help support her. Right. And so... Um, it's changed. The people have changed quite a bit, uh, how they act and respond. The suppliers, one of the biggest challenges I had when I st- started my business was, well, I wonder if the customers will accept me, if the employees will accept me, right. if we'll make money, be able to pay uh, our rent. And the curious thing I have is, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the biggest challenge I've had is the quality of the food. Really? The suppliers continue to cut their food quality hmm. and make cheaper food because... I'm sure the business owners demand to pay less and have cheaper product. Mm. The product that we use in a three-generation place, the recipes are written in my grandfather's handwriting. Right. And if it says tomato soup, that's the tomato soup I want. If it says mayonnaise, that's the mayonnaise I want. If it says meat, that's the meat I want. We don't compromise. We don't change. We don't have any secret. We just continue to do things the way we've always done them. Sure. And to, to hold the suppliers to the same standards we've had for 50 years is almost, it, was the, it is the biggest challenge I have. Hmm. Did that answer your question? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Thank you. Now, one of the things that you did mention was globalization. Yes. And I 
And how has globalization, as far as getting food from suppliers, changed yeah. your business? This is a that's a that's a good question. I'm, I'm I'm trying to explain to my mom how come she needs to watch TV on her computer instead of through the cable. <laughs> but I think I'll pass that to my kids to explain to her because I'm not sure I understand. <laughs> but when I first started, we do we sell a tremendous amount of fish and chips at each of our restaurants. We're kind of known for that. And so we go through a 1,000 pounds of fish a week. Mm-hmm. And I used to have to go out and shop the fish uh, every three or four months to try to get a supply for it. And they all would see me coming, and they would charge me for the fish. Right. Again, I want the same quality. Uh, my, my motto is the same or better for less when we do supplies and that kind of thing. So I went to my dad one time, and I said, hey, what am I going to do about all these guys? And he goes, well, fishermen are kind of like farmers. He says, look around at the farmers. Do you ever see a poor farmer? <laughs> I said, no, I haven't. In fact, they got big houses, lots of property. Right. He goes, yeah, and they're always telling you the weather's bad and the crops are bad and they can't do it. Right. So the fishermen tell you the same thing. They can't fish and they can't get it. Well, I had a manager that worked for me who was uh, born in Lebanon, raised in France, and he spoke French and Lebanese and Spanish and English. Right. And he talked to me for three years and convinced me to go to China, hmm. where they process the majority of the world's fish. Really? So I, after three years, he convinced me to buy him a ticket. He went to Qingdao, which is a big uh, city just north of uh, North Korea. It's a big right. port. And uh, they specialize in fish and uh, commodities like gasoline and also transporting cars. Hmm. And so he checked three or four different plants, and we made a deal with one plant. And uh, they have begun to supply uh, fish for us. The fish, I pay extra to have the fish caught off of Alaska and off of Russia in the North Pacific. Goes to China, they process it, and then they send us big container loads full, which is 40, 44,000 pounds of fish at a time. Wow. So I get two of those a year. My goal is to get 20 in uh, 10 years, and we're, we're just heading past our 21st container now. Oh, congratulations. It, thank you. It guarantees our quality, guarantees our price, and it puts us way ahead of having to shop for it all the time. Sure. And the Chinese, I think we hit them at just the right time because uh, it was just after the toy scare where they'd put lead in the toys. Right. And I think they might have killed a couple of those guys or something. <laughs> they disappeared and never were heard from again. I don't know what happened, but all I ever heard from the people we deal with, what can we do for you? Is it coming out okay? Do you like it? Is there anything else we can get for you? And they cared more for us and uh, communicated more with us than any of the... Uh, sometimes fat, dumb, lazy Americans <laughs> who can only think as far as the Pacific Ocean or the Atlantic Ocean. So the fish that, you, that your customers are eating mm-hmm. are domestic fish, but, even though, but they're processed in China. Exactly. I mean, you could catch 1,000 pounds of fish a mile off of Long Beach. They're sending it to China to process and send it back. Really? Yes. And that's globalization for you. Well, that's globalization now. You've got to compete that way. Exactly. That's my limited knowledge of it, yes. Now, your catering business mm-hmm. has done very well. In yes. fact, I would venture to guess that your catering business is the overwhelming majority of your net revenue coming into Mossman's, is it? Uh, I don't know. We do. Uh, we, we started off about a million when we started. We're doing about four million now. Mm-hmm. We probably do a couple million out of one of the restaurants and a million out of another one and maybe a million out of the catering. But it definitely has grown. Oh, it's grown probably an average of 30, 40, 50 percent over the last five, ten years. Right. And one of the hallmarks of of Mossman's, in addition to the quality of the fish and chips, which mm-hmm. are very well known, is when you're Thank catering an event, you never mm-hmm. run out of food. <laughs> and this is for and this is a big problem for a lot of caterers. Yes, uh-huh. And and but it's a hallmark 
of the way you take care of your customer. Yes. And so what are some of the things that you do to, to ensure quality customer service? Yeah, that is great. Um, we love to serve, first of all, and we love to make sure people get enough to eat. I mean, I'm not in it to make sure my bank account's full. I'm in it to make sure the person that comes and leaves is happy with what they have. Right. And uh, we had a saying at our house when we were growing up at home, you either cooked it or you complained about it. (laughs) (laughs) So you can imagine how Thanksgivings and Christmas were at my house. (laughs) I don't (laughs) know. We always seem to enjoy it. Enjoy it. There you go. See? And so uh, we always ate good at my house. So I would always bring enough food to make sure everybody has enough food. And um, (laughs) it's... uh, the other caterers and restaurant guys would tease me about it in town. Right. Rick, you're wasting a lot of food. You're spending a lot of extra money. And instead of uh, cutting back to the standards that they expected, I decided to stay there, kind of double down, and said, look, I'm going to start advertising that I can guarantee you I can serve 5% more than you tell me. Right. And I can guarantee we do this. And we do that. And we bring extra food all the time. And it's a little bit easier than people make it out to be because I don't actually bring food and throw it away. I bring food, but if I have a crew, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times I'll have a crew that's 20 or 30 or 40, 50 people. I want to bring enough food to feed them. Uh. So if the party goes over a little bit, every once in a great, great while, then we take their food and give it to the <laughs> guests because my employees always eat the same thing I serve my guests. Uh. And then we'll go to the restaurant and get something for them. Or uh, one time we had a party where they guaranteed us 600 people, and they end up serving 780 people. Wow. And we could tell what was going to happen when it started, and we started calling the restaurants, and the restaurants started delivering food. None of the customers knew what happened. They never knew what was going on. The customers at the end of the line didn't get the same thing as the customers at the front of the line. In fact, they got something a little more expensive. But <laughs> <laughs> they got tri-tip instead of pit beef, I think. But no one knew, nothing hiccup, nothing stopped, and everybody got something to eat. That's my goal. One of the other things that I've also noticed that Mossman's done, does for their catering is their tasting yes. that, they, that you guys do. Tell us a little bit about that process. Man, I wish you hadn't brought that up because I hate tastings. <laughs> <laughs> and I hate to say that in public where they're going to hear me say that. But um, tasting is kind of a bastardization of the process of serving the food. It's right. just a show for the people that want to feel better about the caterer. Um, I can sit, take you to three or 400 restaurants in town where they can cook it at a stove that's approximately 30 feet from where you're going to eat it. And when they get done cooking it, they can hand it to you at your place and give you whatever you want and let you taste it. Right. That has nothing to do whatsoever with the art of cooking your food, putting it in a box, transporting it to your location, holding it sometimes if you're behind schedule. Serving it on a buffet line, making sure everybody gets served, make sure everybody gets taken care of in a big, you know, setting with a lot of people. And that's what you're buying. My dad used to tell me one time, he says, you're selling trust. He says, we used to argue about this too. He said, uh, he said, they don't come for the food. They just come at mealtime. <laughs> I said, well, we got good food. They're supposed to are coming for the food. He says, no, no. He says, you don't understand. Your job is not to do anything to detract from what they're trying to accomplish. And I hate to say it again because we do have some great food. <laughs> but the more I make sure that they accomplish their goals and we don't detract from that, the more that happens. And I don't think I answered your question. I think I no, went the wrong way on that one. No, you did. Because the, the point that I'm getting to is this is one of the things that gives you a competitive advantage hmm. over other catering companies. Is you know the overabundance of food. Yes. Your client never has to worry about running out. You also go through and do a, a tasting, and if they want to, a personalized tasting. Yes. So that they can actually find out what it's going to be like when it comes off the van right. at their location. 
how else do you have a competitive advantage over your competition? I think we have a very good value for what we do. Uh-huh. Um, uh, some people charge quite a bit. I think we're still mom and pops enough that we have a reasonable value and charge for you. And one of the things that puts us way ahead of time is we try to meet your needs. We have very personalized people who call you, who are available to you. My business card to this day has my personal cell phone number on it. Mm. Uh, the girl that does our catering manager, Dred, oh my gosh, she's fantastic and amazing. And she, she'll take calls at 7, 8, 9 at night, 4, 5, 6 in the morning, and she'll always answer and get back to you. My chef is very good. He'll respond. And something that we try to do at Mossman's too is that we don't come up, come to your meeting about your catering party with a form we come with a blank piece of paper mm. and we start to write down your vision for your event and what you want to accomplish. We don't make you fit into what we provide. We want to find out what you want and then design a party around that. And that is personalized customer service. Personalized customer service. There you go. Now, I'd like to take a step back away from the company for sure. a, a moment here and talk about you, the business owner, okay. and some of your philosophies and, and the way that you conduct yourself. And one of the things that's very easy for a business owner to have happen is to allow their business to consume their life. Yes. And what do you do to help balance that out so that your your three-generation company doesn't just dictate every moment of your waking time? <laughs> well, there was a time when it did pretty much. I remember working six and a half days a week. And I would come home on Sunday afternoon, take a little time, and I'd always inevitably get a call. And uh, that wouldn't be a good day for me or my family. So I focused on a lot of the wrong things when I was starting. I didn't value enough, you know, having a relationship with God or even my family. And that's something that I had to regroup on and go back for. But this day and age, for instance, this morning before I've seen you, uh, I've done a certain amount of push-ups. Uh, I went running in the riverbed. The water just got out of the riverbed this morning, so I got to go running a little bit, and I love getting outside and doing that. One day a week I go swimming. Uh, a couple days a week I spin bike. I used to go jogging all the time, do push-ups and sit-ups, alternate that. Um, I'll go play basketball sometimes with the guys at the gym. Something else has helped me tremendously is getting with guys, groups of guys, and doing things. Mm. Uh, I didn't do that. I'm very personable and social. So just getting with guys. and We have a fishing trip planned to go uh, trout fishing way up in the high Sierras where you have to helicopter in and you're stuck there for three or four days. And the cell phone doesn't work. The cell phone. Nothing works up there. (laughs) (laughs) You wake up in the middle of the night and it's just beautiful stars and it really cleanses you out, you know, and that's a good thing. I like doing that. So... Are you a reader? Do you read any business books? Yes, I do. I don't read a bunch of business books. I do read the uh, uh, food and catering publications that come through. I glance through them, and they're very valuable for food ideas or trends, mostly a lot of trends Mm. and a lot of labor trends and some of the business trends and things. What kind of uh, trends are you seeing right now? Well, between reading those magazines and I also own stock and limited, very limited stock in like Darden Company that owns Olive Garden and those kind of places. And, uh, you know, General Mills and Disney, you read some of their stock reports, you start to see the trends of the people because I don't have a department to help me understand those kind of things. Mm. So right now they've explained the generations, what they're looking for when you hire them. And I'm a little out of uh, touch with that, but it used to be. You know, benefits and being at a job for the rest of their life was important to them. And then it used to be the fact that you're involved in the community and you give back to the community was a very high thing to them. Now a lot of uh, generations are looking for how they can, you can meet their needs, right. what they feel and what they want to do. And that's the most important thing to them. And I think you just pointed on something very significant for our listeners, which is that if you don't have access to a lot of information in your industry... 
It doesn't take much. You can buy a share or two in another company that is on a macroscopic version of your business, and you can gain insight to business trends based off their stock reports. Oh, and they'll send you a big old book that's so intimidating. Don't look through the whole book. Read the first few you know, pages of the president, and he'll give you, if you look in there real close, he'll tell you what they're working on and what's going on and where the market's going and the trend and that sort of thing. One of the things that you also mentioned is that Community involvement is very important to these companies, yes. and, and community involvement is invo- is very key to you. How are you involved in the community? We're involved in more ways than I'd like to say. <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw a sign in a flower shop one time that says, you know, how come all my my uh, <laughs> my competition get the ones that want to pay full price and I get all the ones that want to be donated and want to have, you know, giveaways? So we do quite a bit of that. We do partner with quite a few people. And uh, we'll lower the price or change it for advertising. But my goal is really to uh, invest in the community. How so? And, and one of the things I love to do is partner with, because we're working with multiple uh, fundraising groups or multiple nonprofit groups, it, to see them evolve. I'm at different steps in the evolution of all these people. One of my favorite stories is through the Red Cross. When the Red Cross started, they uh, had a hero's meal where they um, celebrated 10 heroes for the year and they gave them plaques and had them up there and told the story and it made the newspaper and uh, the radio and that kind of thing television and they did it as a breakfast and then they decided maybe they should try to do a lunch so we helped them get to a lunch and do a lunch venue and then they went from a lunch venue to a dinner venue and they ended up renting out an airplane hangar and having the head u.s representative to washington dc show up and talk and they had a big display and they've raised a tremendous amount of money, but they evolved from a little breakfast at right. 10 or 20 people to a big dinner with two or 300 people with very, it was, it's amazing to watch. It's a lot of fun. So a lot of my nonprofits are in those stages and I like to catch them and then help them keep going to the next stage. How about you? What's, how are you personally involved in the community? Um, I'm on the board for the Salvation Army. Okay. I'm on the board for a place called Heavenly Treasures down in L.A., um, we just do a tremendous amount of things. That, and I like it better when people don't know and they're not sure. There's people we feed out in Oildale. There's uh, just a lot of things going on. So, How do you see the future of Mossman's? It's interesting because when I first started, I realized that my goal was to get things or to do things, you know. Right. I had somebody say to me a while ago, Rick, I haven't heard you talk about getting a building or getting a location or expanding and doing that. And I thought about that because it aggravated me. But I really have switched over unknowingly to thinking about how do I make my people succeed. Mm. So I'm 60 years old now. Some of these new guys, the young bloods coming in, they're 27, 30, 35. They got families. And so my goal really is to try to figure out how do I get those guys to succeed? Mm. That's my goal. I want these people to succeed as opposed to having more buildings, more business, and that kind of thing. And I know it sounds apropos, but when they succeed, it turns out I succeed too. Sure, (laughs) sure, sure. That sounds silly from a Oakey in Bakersfield, but yeah, that's true. It's well, very true. The key is, is you had three very successful mentors teaching you the restaurant business. Yes. Your grandfather, your father, and yes. your uncle. Yes. And now it's now you're turning returning the favor for the next generation. I guess that's true. I always see myself as a kid. I think you're stuck in one of those spots. But yeah, I guess that happens. And I got to be a little more careful. Yes. <laughs> what I do, whether it's you know, I remember going to the grocery stores and you get upset and you get mad and throw a little fit, and then you realize your customers are all around you, and you better keep your mouth shut and not say anything. <laughs> so that helped. And, you know, let me expand on that just a touch. We have begun a program where we take a certain amount of money each 
week and put it in a fund uh-huh. to see if the cash flow from the business can handle that. And then at the end of so many years, that fund will be used as a motivation for my young people and also as a ability uh, reservoir of funds to buy into the business. Oh. So, because these kids these days don't hardly have money to do stuff and do things, but they're very talented and they should be having an opportunity. Sure. So hopefully we're motivating them and giving them something to put for down payment in the future. Rick, this has been a wonderful interview. I appreciate you. you taking the time to do that. You can get in touch with me at either of the restaurants. If you catch my uh, cell phone on my business card, it's there. You can call me. I don't always answer it, but I always get it. And uh, which restaurants are you at? Probably at Westchester Bowl Coffee Shop uh, in 1819 30th Street and at Southwest Lanes Coffee Shop, 3610 Weibel Road. In Bakersfield? In Bakersfield. And how, could, of, uh-huh. and how can they find you online? Online, we have Mossman's Catering. And uh, we just redid our website a little bit, so it's got more and more pictures of the catering and not so much emphasis on the restaurants. It's kind of fun to watch. I haven't even seen everything they put on it. I saw it the other day. I'm like, whoa, that looks kind of fun. Uh, we yeah. do that? <laughs> yeah, we do that. That's kind of cool. I like that food. It looks very fun. Rick, it's been a pleasure. And thank, thank you, you so again. much, Mike. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Small Business Celebration Podcast. Some of today's music was brought to you by Ted Hammond, and you may find more of Ted's music at ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. And that's ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. Also, if you enjoyed this episode and gained some insight from it for your business, subscribe to this podcast at iTunes.com forward slash Small Business Celebration and give us a five-star review. If there is a business in the California, San Joaquin Valley you'd like us to interview, reach out to us on Facebook and let us know. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Roberts of the Small Business Celebration Podcast, and we wish you a strong and profitable business.